Boss Uncaged is a weekly podcast that releases the origin stories of business owners and entrepreneurs as they become uncaged trailblazers. In each episode, our hosts, S.A. Grant and guests construct narrative accounts of their collective business journeys and growth strategies. Learn key success habits and how to stay motivated through failure, all while developing a boss uncaged mindset. Break out of your cage and welcome our host, S.A. Grant. Welcome, welcome back to Boss Uncaged Podcast. So we have Hike here. And this guy, this, this is probably going to be one of the episodes that 45 minutes is not going to do enough justice. 60 minutes may not do enough justice. So we're probably looking at probably 60 to 90 minutes. So mm-hmm. grab yourself a beer, sit down and relax and get ready to enjoy the ride. You know, I, you know, I like to give whoever I'm talking to a particular nickname. So I, like, this is probably one of my favorite nicknames. I actually want to see this nickname on a t-shirt sooner than later. I want to rock <laughs> it. I see this man. So his nickname is going to be Tipsy. Cargo boss. It just has a, a ring to it. Kind of thinking about like, what the hell is a tipsy cargo? With, with that being said, Hike, the floor is yours. I want you to tell the audience a little bit more about yourself. And what are we talking about today? Why am I calling you the tipsy cargo boss? <laughs> I like that. That's really, really unique. And I love the, uh, the fusion of those concepts. So I think tipsy because, you know, my family and I have been in the wine business for quite some time. You know, it's a uh, generational thing. So uh, maybe I think you calling me that because we're in the wine industry. We make wine from all over the world. And then cargo, because we have a very unique concept that we created in 2017 called the open container wine bar. So you can get tipsy at our cargo containers. I like that. Yeah. So, I mean, the concept is is really dope. I mean, obviously, in real estate, it was all about like the mini houses and, and the tiny homes. So, I mean, imagine you have a tiny home and then on the side of your tiny home, you have like a cargo bar, right? Like, yeah. I want you to kind of talk about like, how did that concept come to fruition? Because again, this is not your first rodeo. I mean, this is where you are right now, but obviously you've been in wine for, for a minute. So what kind of made you say, okay, we're going to take the wine and then we're going to kind of build something to go along with that and sell them both together. So, yeah. Um we didn't even have an idea to do the the container that kind of popped up on us you know but it came out of the necessity to expand just being so hungry being in myrtle beach after expanding four locations we were like we gotta tap in i mean this redneck riviera just ain't cutting it (laughs) if we can make it at the redneck riviera we can freaking make it anywhere so we're like okay we back on the drawing board we love florida it's time to expand. It's about to take it to the next level. Mm-hmm. So we went to Orlando with my brother and my mom, and we were kind of scouting locations, you know, because we would travel to Orlando. We, we knew how big it was, how massive it is, and they're constantly building. Number one tourist destination in the world, all right? Before COVID, 75 million people mm-hmm. go there. Now we're at about 60. It's insane. So, okay, we, we um, reached uh, the Simon uh, Premium Outlet, we work with Simon, the number one largest property and mall landowners in America. So we first wanted to do like a kiosk. We wanted to do like a kiosk, something small, something where we can go in, fill in that niche because no one was do- no one was doing that. There was no wine tasting, no competition. So we were like, okay, let's get a kiosk in here, you know, so we can do a small footprint, maximize, not pay any crazy rent. Let's fill it out. So then. 
I would travel to California. My brother and I were talking, you know, and we saw a couple, we saw some containers over there. We saw some container bars, not bars, more like restaurants. Mm. So we were like, oh shit, let's, what if we do a container concept, call it open container. And then voila, it was like that light turned on. And we, and then I came back to Florida. It took us one year from idea to being fully open and serving. One year we had did that concept, built the container, did the negotiations and started our business. And that's where it happened. Wow. So, I mean, obviously, like, if, if you're listening, like, that's kind of where we are right now. And that's all great. And that, it, the, the success is there. The concept is there. But I want to time travel back, right? I want you to go back. Yeah. Let's say the year is 1985, right? So I want you to talk about what happened. Like, where did you move from to in 1985? So I wasn't even born in 1985. <laughs> so, but... Um, that's when my family made the trans transition from Armenia to America. So I was just, I was in the ether, you know what I mean? I was just not even in existence, but, um, it all starts from the ancestors, right? So all the stuff that happened in the past, everything, and we'll, I'll touch in more about my grandmother, but everything that happened, all the plays led them to America and they were coming from the USSR. You know, that was like two superpowers, America, Russia. Nobody even thought of moving from the Soviet Union to America. That was not even a thing. You know, they might even put you in jail if you even talked about it. But since my family had great connections and my father's uncle being Adam Khachaturian, which is a great composer, he had international stardom and with that gave them the, you know, the freedom mm -hmm. to do that. So my grandmother was the first one to move to Worcester, Massachusetts. She felt it out, saw that there was a, a bustling Armenian community. There was Armenian churches. And that's when, you know, she gave the green light, like, Hey, y'all can come, you know, and that's when my father, my mom and my dad moved. So, I mean, we're talking about your grandmother. I mean, obviously, th this woman is a badass. I remember seeing a picture of her. I think she had on, like, like a, a white gown or something like that. She was smoking a cigarette. You could just tell that she was a no-nonsense kind of person. Yeah. So, she to kind of talk about Grandma Rose. Because, I mean, that she is, like, the founding everything to, like, like to your, your structure of your business, that the wine. Collectively, everything you're doing today came from her. So I want you to kind of talk about, I remember seeing a picture on your website. I think it was you sitting down next to her. And I think you had like a, a yellow or red shirt on. What did you talk about? Like how close were you to her and how much information and learning did you get while she was still around? Well, that's great. That's great that you saw those pictures and you read on our family. I really appreciate that. Mm -hmm. That really means a lot. So yeah, man, to sum it up, grandma was a G. She was straight G. <laughs> and her family was straight G. Mm. And basically, her, to sum it up, she raised 11 children, wow. five brothers and sisters, and six orphans from the age of nine. Mm. Her father went to World War I, never came back. You know, when you see in the movies when the kid and the family, they got, they waving, mm. and, the, and, the, and the, the father's in the little military suit, and he's waving with the hopes of coming back. Yeah, that didn't happen, man. So he didn't come back. Um, and he was, a, he was actually a, um, 
a pastor too. You know, he was really locked in with a lot of ancient esoteric knowledge and kind of gave him the, a lot of the fundamentals, you know, of spirituality and, you know, knowledge of self, hmm. you know, so my grandma had that, she had the entrepreneurial spirit. So from the age of nine, she was a hustler. Hmm. She did have her mom, but her mom didn't, back then the ladies didn't, they, they didn't know the, the, the value. They weren't the money makers, you know, they were raising the children, you know, not saying that, that all that's women are about, but, you know, back then, you know, we're talking about over a hundred years ago, um, the, you know, the women were building the house, you know, raising the kids, which is, I think the number one priority, the most important job in the world. But, you know, grandma did a lot of entrepreneurial things. You know, she was a farmer. She did sales. Um, she then became a nurse, but then the most importantly, she nurtured these, these people who then became very prominent people in our country from nothing. They were orphans. Wow. So grandma's a strict. And she even had to go cut some heads. I'm not going to lie. There were some heads rolling <laughs> when, <laughs> when uh, you know, people were trying to infiltrate the, uh, the, the, the Turkish people were coming on our land or trying to steal, you know, food from our farm or do some destruction. You know, she had to, she let the let that, that, that whole swing. And so she had a lot of respect, you know, a lot of respect growing up. So, yeah. I mean, obviously, you know, we, we start talking about the wine, but in the early days, you guys kind of dibbled and dabbled a little bit in like a pizza place. So I want to kind of like talk about like, how does that fit into the equation? Now, I understand like your family, everyone seems to be huge foodies. You, you kind of go back to like the, the olden days with like, you know, wineries and, and, and everything, everything that's, that you guys do is essentially surrounded by the grapes and the wines. So where did the pizza kind of fall into this equation? Well, not only the, the grapes and the wine, but we've always had that food and beverage. Mm -hmm. The food and the restaurant side has always been kind of like our identity as well. So when my parents, can, can I take a little bit further back before yeah, the pizza yeah, place? Yeah. yeah. So when they moved from Armenia, my parents, they had engineering degrees. But once they touched down, that didn't really hold any weight. You know what I mean? It was uh, their engin engineering diplomas couldn't hold in the, um, in the United States, in the universities, but they had to grind, you know, not only, you know, they had to make money. So they did odd jobs, but there's one thing that we always knew. We knew my grandmother's cooking, which was top notch because again, she raised 11 people, fed them, clothed them, did everything. So they started with about 10 family members, the first four star Mediterranean restaurant. It was like four and a half. Uh, star Mediterranean restaurant in Worcester, Massachusetts, all family members. Mm. And it was a big location. It was big. And we had people coming from Boston, Connecticut, you know, you know, Hartford, Connecticut, Vermont, to this Mediterranean place, because it was my grandma's old recipes, the soups, the, the dolma, which is a traditional Armenian recipe, the grape leaves. Dolma is the grape leaf. You know, we take fresh grape leaves, stuff them with meat and rice and spices. Also, we do it in tomatoes and everything. So it was world-class, you know? So they were traveling hours and hours to get my grandma's cooking. You know, my father was helping as a chef, my uncle, which cooked for the president of Armenia back when he was in Armenia. So we started with that Mediterranean restaurant. Then my mother and father left that 
to my grandmother, my, my mom's mom, mm -hmm. okay? Because I had two grandmothers, you know, my, my dad's mom, mm -hmm. but she was the first one to venture out to Massachusetts while my grandmother Rosa was in Armenia. But then my grandmother Rosa was the entrepreneur too. You know, she was the G. Um, and so they moved down to South Carolina. And I was born then. I was about, you know, maybe 10 years old mm -hmm. when we moved to South Carolina. And that, that's where they opened up that pizza restaurant. Hmm. So First they dabbled in a little bit of the Mediterranean, but then they realized, okay, you know, these people, they're not really, they don't understand this food. Yeah. But again, my father knew the pizza restaurant because the Greeks told him and taught him the game in Massachusetts. Mm -hmm. And so we opened up a pizza place, pasta, salads, burgers, you know, like in a nice American cuisine, but with our fresh style of cooking. So I think it's a solid segue. I mean, you brought up when you were roughly 10 years old and in your bio, you were talking about, you know, there was a time in your life, like right around 11, it was kind of dictated that you may not even make it to age 11. So I want you to kind of talk about what was going on and, and why were you diagnosed with what you were diagnosed with? Yes. Yeah, so it is, um, it's a miracle by, you know, God's graces that, you know, at an early age, um, I had a kind of like a blood disorder, mm -hmm. a disease. You know, we weren't going to get down to the specifics, but yes, you know, at a very early age, I thought that, you know, this is it, you know, this might be it for me, mm -hmm. you know, and I had a lot of self-reflection, a lot of self-talk that, you know, what am I here for? You know, um, I'm, I'm so young. Why should I be experiencing this? You know, I was always a questioning soul spirit um why you know why am i going through this am i gonna make it but again i i am so lucky enough to be here and to go through all my struggles and some of the worst times of my life at an early age where i would every day pretty much be crying myself to sleep and praying and um and i think that really help expand my mind that really helped kind of break my mind and ask all these tough questions that people don't even ask, even at a age, you know, at a late age in their life, they just don't ask these things. Mm -hmm. But at a very young age, um, where not a lot of people even knew what was going on. Um, I was able to uh, survive this, I was able to be free of these diseases. And but it actually what broke me, it made me pick up these pieces and be even better, stronger and the being and person that I am now, the resilient person that is more living in the now, living in the moment. I think another thing that, that I remember reading from your bio was like around that time frame in your early days is that it was, you know, pretty much difficult for you. You always felt like you never fit in. So was it more so like you were raised with like the hustle mentality, the entrepreneurs and everyone else was not in that space of mind? Like what made you uniquely different from your counterparts? So I would say I was just born this way, you know, with the energy and the information that I had in me. Um, I was always very active, mm -hmm. more intelligent than my peers. Even my parents, my aunts were telling me like at an age seven, six, seven, eight, we were having intelligent conversations. You know, we were, I was able to understand way more kind of like 
um, there was these past kind of information or say Akashic records or in me that was uh, a little bit different, you know, but I was always high energy. You know, I was always bouncing on the walls. I would not be scared of anything. You know, I'm the one I was in the ER <laughs> every other day, you know, jumping here, breaking this, scraping that wild child. Mm. And, um, very tough to raise, very, very tough to raise. So um, that's when my mom took me at the age of uh, about one and a half. She took me to Armenia, which I'm so happy. And I lived there actually for about three, three and a half years when my grandmother, Rosa, raised me with my grandfather, my aunts, uncles. I had family there. And my mom would come and visit me, of course, but because I was such uh, a tough kid, they basically had to tie me down to sleep, man. They had to tie me down in the crib so I can, so I can sleep. And, um, and I think it was just something that, that was in me. And they didn't beat it out of me. They didn't uh, put me on any kind of medication. I'm so, so blessed that they didn't. And being with my grandmother, being in Armenia in that setting, which was kind of helped mold my mind because it was different for me. You know, we're at a young age. We're just taking in information, soaking in like a sponge. From the age of six and seven, it builds our consciousness. Okay, these are the most important times of our life. So I was able to see another part of the world. I was able to travel, get on a plane at such a young age. And all this energy and information kind of uh, is still with me till this day. Mm-hmm. I think it's definitely phenomenal. I remember reading that, you know, you said that, you know, you pretty much got diagnosed or indirectly got diagnosed with um, attention deficit disorder, but that became more so an asset for your innovation and your creativity, like, like leveraging, like you always hear about, like Kanye West said, like he, he doesn't have a disease, he has a superpower, right? So, I mean, you kind of took that and turned it into a superpower. So being that you had that attention deficit, which, you know, obviously I think a lot of people do, I know I have it, right? Do yes. you think that's more so a benefit today for you and your entrepreneurial endeavors? Yes, I believe that nowadays kids are falsely diagnosed. Mm. They're dragged to the doctors. They're given these pills, which is the real disease mm. and the real suffering of humanity. They're giving them these pills for, quote unquote, to help them calm their mind and basically make some vegetables. Mm. So, yes, I had ADHD. I probably had dyslexia. Had a lot of things, but my parents saw that as, you know, them being from Armenia, they saw that as this is just a kid. He's mm. just a kid. He's figuring out who he is. He's figuring out his identity, you know, um, learning as he goes. So they didn't take me to the doctors for that. They were patient enough with me. Mm-hmm. They were stern enough with me that they, um, they didn't do that. And my ADHD is actually is my superpower, is my creativity, because it helps me have an open mind. You know, yes, it gets overwhelming. But as you get older, you learn certain tools, you learn to manage your mind. And still, we're still learning how to use the most powerful machine, the most powerful asset in the universe is our mind. Okay. Mm -hmm. The most important real estate we can ever own is between our ears. The only thing we ever own. So why would you want to dumb that down? Why would you want to medicate that? Hmm. And I'm so happy that I am who I am now because of these quote unquote 
deficits which are not. Again, they get labeled these. They identify these, the, the children with this. And then with our beliefs, because I believe beliefs create reality, our thoughts, our feelings, our emotions. And if we can't dissect that, if we can't get a grounds of that and understand like, hey, life is not easy, you're going to struggle. But with struggle comes freedom. With struggle comes, okay, I can control myself better. Let me learn the tools of how to master the mind. And uh, I believe I'm, I- I'm getting there with my superpower. So, I mean, like the dawn of any superhero, there's like these these hurdles to where people, like you said earlier, they don't understand you to get these roadblocks. So unfortunately, unfortunately, at the same time, you got expelled from from high school during the, the 10th grade. So I want to kind of talk about like that roller coaster of being a high school dropout to where now you're a multimillionaire. Now, obviously, most people think you have to go to school, you have to get degrees, go to college, and you work your way up the, the corporate ladder. But in your case, obviously, it was uniquely different. I want to talk about like, how did you go from being a high school dropout to becoming a wealthy individual? Great question. Again, it was those struggles. It was not fitting in. Moving from Massachusetts to South Carolina, where everybody just knows black or white. Mm. Nobody knows Armenia. So I had to fight. And even in Massachusetts, you know, we're in a um, a very diverse and tough neighborhood. Mm. Every time I would go to school, I walk to school, I get my ass kicked at least two times. And then another two times on the way back. So um, being bullied and being beat up kind of caused me to become a bully as well. Hmm. Become a bully because it's like, you know, the victim becomes the oppressor, you know, or the, you know, the one victimizing. So, you know, yes, I had a, um, a tough upbringing, but I think all kids should, you know, um, I don't believe in, you know, right, you know, all the, right now the generation is so soft, you know, so soft. And I think there's a, um, a war even on our individuality and what we're born as. So moving from South Carolina, you know, moving to South Carolina, it was a culture shock, you know, and I've been called everything in the book, you know, everything in the book because I look different. And with that, I would fight a lot, you know, I, I, I didn't focus in class. I was that C student, you know, I was that C student that didn't really even try because I just thought, what are they even teaching me? It's just useless to me. Like, what do I need to know this math for? Or what do I even care about this past? Or, you know, there's some of this history that's really irrelevant right now that they're trying to feed me and really trying to get me to memorize and regurgitate back. So I felt like my spirit and my belief in a higher power, universe, God, source, whatever you want to label it. You know, everybody calls it something different, whether it's a spiritual interpretation or a science or whatever it may be. But I just felt like I was fighting a lot, you know, and I was getting in trouble and getting suspended. <laughs> you know, when I, I had a little notebook. Uh, whenever I used to get, get into trouble, there was what's called Saturday D-Hall. Mm. I had to open up my notebook and tell the, the principal, you know, you know, this Saturday's booked up already. <laughs> this Saturday's booked. You're going to have to give me the next Saturday. You know, I'm sorry. I, I can't make this one. I'm, I already got Saturday D-Hall, you know, and back then they didn't really have that zero tolerance law. 
where it was zero tolerance in the southern states, you know, you get like suspended a couple of times, they're going to expel you. Or you get an amount of certain amount of trouble, they will expel you. Mm. So I got kicked out of the 10th grade. I got expelled and pretty much was a high school dropout at 10. And I went more towards self-teaching, delving into books, going into stuff about meditation, and also working at our family restaurant, supporting our family. I had to work from a very young age and not get paid and support the family. And I think that really was a blessing in disguise, and I trusted it. I think it's definitely fascinating that, that you said, uh, like, an education system in today's world is about, you know, learning something and, and memorizing it and regurgitating it. But uh, to your point, I think learning as you're doing something to get to a particular goal, it's a little bit more sticky. You're not doing it from memory. You're doing it to live. And then, which brings me to, like, your winemaking, right? You guys have 10 exclusive different wines. And anyone that knows anything about creating a beverage of that caliber there's chemistry that goes into that. There's math that goes into that. There's science that goes into that. So I want you to kind of talk about, like, even though that you were a dropout, was it pretty easy for you to take up these concepts and, and help develop these wines? Yes, sir. Great question. And again, whatever I applied myself to, mm-hmm. when I really applied myself and I really enjoyed doing a subject, I was always in advanced classes. So I was never dummy. Um, I remember when I was in uh, eighth or ninth grade, uh, I was in just regular English class. But the teacher asked me, we're going to give you a little short book to read. Okay, it's going to be about 15 pages. We're going to give you a book to read. So I you know, read the book and she pulled me to the side. Like, can you answer me these questions? Can you tell me what this book was about? And no lie, I kind of explained that entire book Hmm. of what this person was, what they were doing, the little nuances of of the book and the information in it. And from that day on, she's like, Hike, you need to go to AP. And when I went to AP, when I walked in that first day, everyone looked at me like, what the hell is he doing here? Because again, I was getting suspended all the time. You know, I was the bad kid. So anything and even social studies, AP, I just didn't care yeah i just was like i I was the class clown too Mm -hmm. i was the class clown because of you know my upbringing and my trials and tribulations i use comedy you know as to bring joy and and you know excitement and something new to the classroom and i feel like the main thing that i learned um, working was people skills Mm -hmm. learning how to speak with people learning how to tap into the emotions learning how to express myself, how to articulate myself. And I think that is the most invaluable skill that is not taught. And also the only math you need to know is addition, subtraction, division, and multiplication. That's it. You know that you could be the greatest entrepreneur ever and make billions of dollars. So what I learned is as long as you have those basics, then anything is possible. Mm-hmm. You can create the wines. You can, you know, you can ask others for help, which a lot of people don't do. You know, everyone has this, oh, I got to do it all myself. If I told you I did it all myself, that would be a lie. Mm-hmm. You, you utilize people's strengths, but you need to have the confidence to 
dream big, to want to do these things. And confidence is key. And that's one of the main things I learned along with some of the basics and having the help to do it. And yes, it's a very dynamic thing to do these brands and uh, the wine and, and everything. But as long as you have taste, touch, smell, and a word, half a mind, anything is possible. So, I mean, obviously, like, like talking about like business. Now, business is something that I think some people, they're born with it and some people, they grow into it, right? And so I want to kind of like dissect a couple of your bi different business models. Like you have a wine club, right? And the wine club has a tiered system that's a reoccurring revenue model. Then you have the container franchising, right? Which is a whole nother beast in itself that has renewable revenue stream as well. You have the one-off purchases of these actual items. So I want you to kind of talk about like, how did you sh like stick these items together? Like, was it through trials and tribulations? You know, which one came first? And how did you kind of orchestrate the noise for that growth strategy to where you are right now? Great. So SA, let me add this one thing. No one is born with anything. Mm. Nobody is born a business leader. I believe people are created into that. It's a choice. We're all born with a clean slate. Mm. And what we really pick up in those first years of our life is very important. But again, I believe in the new cutting-edge sciences of neuroplasticity that our neurons can be rewired, okay? Neurons that fire together, wire together. And because of my mind breaking at an early age, which we can all break our minds, but mine just happened without choice. Mm. But we have a choice to reanalyze, change our belief systems, and bringing new habits and emotions and feelings that create that person who you want to be. Mm -hmm. Were we born out of our mother's womb running, riding a bike, speaking, or any of that? No, we learned it. We learned it. Step by step, through failures, through falling down, through asking for help, through getting mentors, through studying, through self-analyzing, through being aware of your thoughts, all these things tie in to who we are. So let me take it back to what you're saying about the business concept. Um, we had the wine bars in South Carolina, okay, which I started in uh, 2012, brick and mortar. Was that the tasting rooms? That was the tasting rooms. Okay. That was the tasting rooms. Yes, sir. So we had the tasting rooms. I started my entrepreneurial journey in, in Myrtle Beach, South Carolina, because we were in Columbia. Mm -hmm. you know, I was working in the pizza place. And, but then I moved to Myrtle Beach and started my own bar. Back then, we had a few concepts of, 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 of um, wines, but more pomegranate wines, sweeter wines, not to the caliber of what I am creating now. Mm -hmm. So with those, uh, with the Coastal Wine Boutique in Myrtle Beach, we still have two locations. We had the third, but um, the Marriott bought that one out. Mm. 
So um, with having those brands, you know, we, we were always into the wine, but then I always, I wanted to take it to the next level. And so it was a dream of mine. Back then we were, we were selling other people's wines, other wineries and winemakers from Italy, Moldova, France, California. But then I, I saw that, okay, there's, it, it, through the, the business and the years of business I was in, I thought, okay, we need to be having our own wine. We need to have private label wine because the internet is shutting folks down. You can take this wine that you can find at the gas station or at a supermarket, but we weren't selling that gas station wine. They were still very unique. Yeah. But you can find that on Google. You can find that on Google, you know, and you can't compete with the winery's prices or you can't compete with people who are buying wine in bulk. So we got a lot of uh, feedback of, oh, you know, maybe these, these wines are a little high or we can't make as high of margins. So that led to me starting my own importing and distribution business in South Carolina in 2017, but it was still a dream. I just opened it up on paper. I didn't have any capital. I didn't have anything, you know, I didn't use any of my parents' capital. I just had the dream, like, I'm going to do this. So I just kept. Was that uh, pyramid? A little bit of money. What's that essay? So the, the distribution, was that distribution, was that the, the Pyramid Global Incorporation? Yes, sir. Okay. Yes, sir. It was Pyramid Global Inc. And I also have, I started the Pyramid Global Inc., which is kind of now my brand creation, mm. my brand design company, which I help others create their own private label wines, help make their own wine from anywhere in the world. And then I started the Pyramid Global Imports and Distributors in South Carolina, got the ball rolling later in 2020, 2020. Okay, so it took me three to four years for me even to get this thing going. I just had the dream and the focus to not let it go. And then, uh, but it took off in Florida. So I can legally, I can import anywhere in America, but I can distribute in Florida, Georgia, South Carolina. Mm -hmm. So during COVID, I created my own brand, you know, during the worst time in human history where people are scared to breathe, mm -hmm. I went all in and I created my own wines, took me three years to do. And in that time, the open container was already open. It was already a concept, but we were still selling other wineries wines. So then all of that came together as a fusion to answer your question. It all came together in due time. Mm -hmm. The open container, the Pyramid Global Inc. with the designing my wine, traveling, making the wine. And now the distribution company that distributes to our open container facilities, mm -hmm. our bars, also to our franchisees mm -hmm. and to our, and, and to our uh, business partners nice. to this date. So pretty much you you took control of the, the assembly line from 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 seed to store. So I think yes, with, sir. 
you made a solid statement, right? You said you're all in. And if I remember correctly on your Instagram page, it was a post and you were saying that going all in is a lonely place. So I want you to kind of talk about, obviously you're doing all these different things. You're going, you know, balls in deep, you're making it happen. But doesn't that kind of leave you to like a state of depression or kind of lonely because not anyone else can kind of understand and comprehend what you're trying to do? Yes, sir. Great point. Great point. Yes, brother. I, I invested wholly in myself. I put everything I had, all the money that I saved from the Coastal Wine Boutique um, into this business. And I did get a loan as well. Mm. I got an SBA loan of $150,000. And I spent every dollar of it into this concept, not knowing what's going to happen. Okay. So I went all in, I bet on me. I wasn't scared. I was like, F it. You know, if I fail, I fail as long as I tried. So I invested every dollar into franchising the system to creating my nine exclusive private label wines from Armenia and Italy and to launching a brand new container where we have in Orlando, Florida. Mm -hmm. So I went all in, vertically integrated. Like you said, we are vertically integrated from building the product to the import, to the distribution, to the retail, and to the franchise, pretty much. Yeah. And of course, you know, there's different LLCs and corporations all set up. So everything is legal. You know, everything is legal into the books. We have our family in play mm. as certain owners so we can legally transact this business and help others. But yeah, it's a lonely road, brother. It is freaking lonely. And again, happiness, the, the point of life, and it's not to be happy, you know, and chasing the stimuli, that's bullshit. We've been fed that. Nah, brother, it's the opposite. You got to be depressed. You got to be challenged. You got to feel like shit. And you know what? Most of the times I feel like that. I am angry. I am violent. I question myself. Hmm. You know, I have certain anxieties. But you know what? You learn to manage those. Okay? And then you learn certain tools to make that better, to use this darkness and transmute it into light which is mastery, okay? So do I always feel happy? No. Do I wake up pissed and I want to smash, smash some shit? Yes. But I use that as fuel, okay? That's not a bad thing. We're taught that, oh, you got to be happy and peaceful and in la-la land, bro. That's bullshit, hmm. okay? No. Our brain is not hardwired that way, okay? Our brain wants to keep us safe. That's all it wants to do. It wants to keep us safe in our little wall, in our little bubble, to make sure we don't hurt ourselves, to make sure we don't feel down and depressed and, oh, you know, feeling like, that, that's weakness to me, okay? That's weakness to me. Ancient brain, that reptilian brain, which is the very first brain that was even ever even uh, created, Okay, because I believe we're evolutionary creatures. All right, we have multi multi layers in our brain. 
okay? There, there are three layers. So, yeah, it's a lonely road, bro, because the frequency I'm on, I, I can't connect with a lot of people, bro. I can't connect. It's a lonely road. It's a lonely freaking road, man. And I'm by myself a lot. I can't speak openly like how we're speaking openly now about my businesses and my thoughts and about the mind-body continuum and frequency and all that. Bro, it's lonely, man. Mm-hmm. I don't even have a lot of friends. I mean, I, I could definitely see that, but I think in that journey and like your hunger for creativity kind of led you to, to art. And I think it was a Instagram video. And I think I remember you saying, uh, open your mind to art and you may be able to tap into your soul. So I wanted you to kind of talk about like, obviously with the frustrations of being an entrepreneur and the anger and the buildup and the push and pull. And the funny thing is before we even got on this call, you know, your employees were calling you and you had to kind of like talk them off the ledge and kind of iron things out before we even get into this podcast. How does art help you to kind of relieve yourself and, and kind of woo-saw and, and come back full circle? Bro, art is life, man. Art is life. We are the canvas. We are the paint. We are the brush. And we are the imagination that we paint our desired life. Okay? We're creating our life. You see that beautiful background you have behind you, Essay? All those beautiful things that you created? Mm-hmm. That's your art, brother. That is your art. That's how you express yourself. And you're not afraid to express yourself. I see that. You know, you're not afraid to, to go on a whim or I've got to you know, travel to Japan, travel here. That takes courage. And it takes courage to paint our life. Okay. It takes a lot of courage to go inside, pick up that brush, take this damn paint and splatter it on the freaking wall. Okay. So that's what we do. That's why life is art. And soon as we open ourselves, our right side of our brain, because, you know, we have, we have two sides, you know, we have that left and the right hemisphere, just like the, the earth has two poles, right? The North pole and South pole. We got the yin and the yang. Soon as those come together, that's when you unleash your pure power. That's how you unleash your creativity. And creativity is the key to everything, brother. I think I definitely agree with you. I mean, I think having creative outlets brings balance to no matter what you're doing, right? And I think another thing that you have said that's very powerful, and I want the listeners to kind of hear the words that I'm about to say. You said an advocate for transforming pain into purpose. So you've had a lot of pain, right? And again, as an entrepreneur, even though that you're making money and the wealth is there and you can pretty much do and buy whatever you want, there's still dealing with the the day-to-day dramas of pain of being an entrepreneur, but then you turn that into your purpose. So I want you to kind of talk about it. We talked about your business. We talked about art, but with everything that you're doing, what is your core purpose? I'll tell you what it's not. It's not the money. And to be straight up honest with you, transparent, I don't even think about the money, man. I just, all my years, maybe the past two years from my business mentors and me believing in myself to actually think that money's not bad. Bro, I grew up that money was a bad thing, that you got to be a bad person to have money, okay? 
that's what I heard from my my parents, kind of. You know, they would always be fighting over the bills or there was always these bills and we got to pay this and not enough money, kind of lack mindset, bro. And that instilled in me that I had to break, right? I had to reprogram my mind to say, hey, money's okay. We deserve money. And with money, it's a tool that we can create or destroy. But I choose creation. So I never did anything for the money. I did it for therapy, bro. Okay. My art to go back on that art is like my therapy. These businesses that I do, that's my drug. That's my ADHD medication. That's my suppressing this anger, suppressing some of this energy and to express myself. Mm -hmm. So I think that that is the most important that it's not really the money. It's just recently that my mentors are saying, you know, hike, bro, money's good. And once you get to another level, it's okay. Only the people who don't, only the people who are broke and are poor are the ones that saying money's a bad thing and they don't want to talk about money. But really, we should be talking about money. Mm-hmm. Okay. Money is a great tool which I can help create freedom for people. Okay. I can do a lot with this money, but I never focusing on that. Okay. That's a byproduct of my creativity. Mm-hmm. That's a byproduct of the people that I can help and, uh, and the people that I can build up mm-hmm. and also the value I can provide for the world. Mm-hmm. Solve that- problems and the money comes. The money is just energy. And it's really most important energy is our beliefs to this money. Hmm. Okay. And I believe I can, I believe I can have a lot of it. I think that that's a hell of a segue to another statement that you had made about empowering others through paying it forward. So obviously on your journey, right? You learning these different things, you build up these different disciplines, you've kind of orchestrated a hell of a growth strategy where you kind of completely control the entire pipeline, which unfortunately most entrepreneurs, they don't even get to that level or even understand what controlling the pipeline is. And now you're at the point to where you can kind of pay it forward. So I want you to kind of talk about like, like you're giving back. So now you're at the point you can give back. How are you giving back and helping other entrepreneurs grow or follow in your footsteps? Yes, I say. So I didn't even know about building this pipeline. Mm. Again, I didn't know about this vertical integration. I just dreamed big. Okay. Mm. I had the confidence in me to just do it. Just say, F it. I'm going to do it no matter what. Even if I don't see the end of that road or what's going to happen, I believe. Okay. I believe in my God. I believe in the universe to make it happen. So, and this has given me the strength to help others, to pay it forward, to help coach people how to start businesses, how to brand their own wine or any beverage in the world, no matter if it's a juicy juice to to wine, okay? It's possible, all right? And so, and then I created the franchise system to use all this know-how, which isn't It's really about our internal beliefs and our inner game, okay? It's all about the inner game. 
So that's what I created this franchise system, which is a revolutionary new concept to help the entrepreneur through multiple facets of training. Mm. Not just about bartending and serving wine. That's just the tip of the iceberg. But how to think, how to act, you know, the emotions to have and the mindset to help people. Mm. So that's what this franchise does. You know, it's a concept that's never been done before. It's a shipping container wine bar, as you can see right behind me on the beach, chilling. Um, it's, it's just want to help people. I really just genuinely want to help people from everything that I've learned. And our family has always been doing that mm -hmm. to start their own business because it's so hard or people just don't have the confidence and the know-how. And we say, hey, we'll hold your hand. We got the blueprint laid out. Hmm. So if you're willing to take a risk, we can, we can help you have your own business hmm. and be you know, the controller of your own destiny, which I've taken into my hands. I think, and obviously kind of family plays into this, right? I mean, earlier on, we, we talked about your, your grandma, we mentioned your mom, and you're not the only child, right? So you have other siblings. And I want to kind of talk about like your sister. I mean, your younger sister, right? I mean, she's like your baby sister, but she's the vice president of investment. And if do you yes. guys essentially work together or was that something that she just wanted to get into? And obviously now that she understands investments, is she then bringing people to work with you with investing in what you're doing right now? Great question. So my brother, he's, he's a doctor in LA, pulmonary. Uh, he's a genius. Um, and my sister, she works for Marcus and Millichap, not necessarily investments, but commercial real estate. And she works with investors. So she does help me. Yes. She is kind of like my go-to CCIM company. Mm. And she worked her way up. Why? Because I kicked her ass every day when we were kids. I mean, I tormented this little girl. And I was super competitive always in my whole life. Super competitive. No matter what, I had to win. Mm. If I'm not first, I'm last. And that's kind of the mind state that was installed into her. Mm. You know, she had a tough upbringing too. And she had to deal with me. And to get by me, you got to be tough as nails. And that's why she's one of the most successful female. In and she started uh, not because of this business. She did it on her own. Mm. But um, she leveraged the connections of her husband her and her husband's friend which was in the um in that business and she went to her business school and did that and to sum it up that she does help you know i, I call to her she'll get me market analysis she'll get me comp rates she'll get me any information vital to help our franchisees or myself open up a business in a certain territory so, I mean, it's definitely, I mean, phenomenal that to your point, you, all of you guys had tough upbringings, but so you think that the, the upbringing being so non-white picket fence per se, 
is that the reason why all of you are collectively so successful now? Or is it more so like the family supporting system that you guys grew up with? Good question. Again, our family, as close as we are, we have a lot of conflicts too. As Armenians, we're a very conflicted race, man. We've had a lot of bad things done to us. You know, we've had genocides. We had families torn apart. I almost wouldn't even be here. My family wouldn't be here because my grandma was this close to being genocided. Mm. So I believe a lot of Armenians are highly successful and business owners because we have that rough past, because we've been shitted on. Our history has been stolen. Our lands have been stolen. The cries of our mothers and our children have gone on deaf ears. Our blood has painted our lands and nobody says a word. And it's happening right now. We're being genocided and ethnic cleansed right now. There was a nine month, nine month blockade of all supplies, a basic shutdown of supplies, of healthcare, damn near starvation. If you don't know the people and you don't have people that can get around and move around. So our history, our story fuels us to succeed, okay? If we were born with a silver spoon in our mouth and born in a, a class of millionaires that everything is easy, we would probably be drugged up, hmm. depressed, cry, oh, my life is shit when everything is made, you know? But no, we suck it up. We know that no one's coming to save us, okay? that we are creators because in our whole history of our race, I believe in the human race, but just speaking from the cast that I was born in, right? Because at the end of the day, we got to kind of come up with an identity, but I believe in the humans as collective. I don't believe in separation. I love all, okay? Even ones who commit atrocities to us, I believe we must forgive and not hold hate in our heart. But I believe our story and the genocide we're going through now, which are, we got our land stolen again by Azerbaijan and Turkey and the evils that be that are funding this, okay? Um, we're getting everything stripped from us. And a lot of people don't know this. The, 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 the media doesn't explain this. And again, this is a touchy subject, okay? But we got to get there because, again, this is our story. This yeah. is our story. This is what's happening right now, SA. We're getting our land stolen again by a dictator regime, okay, who keeps their own people suppressed. It's not the people. I'm not going to tar the entire nation, okay, with that brush. But there's evils that be, man, that are pushing us down, brother. We're a small country of only 2.5 million people, but we're warriors, okay? We're not going to bend or, or break because we got something we're fighting for, actually. We have a history that spans freaking 8,000 plus years, bro. And it's in our land. Even the lands they've stolen from us, it's our alphabets, it's our churches, it's our monasteries, okay? It's our wineries. It's everything, brother. So all this makes Armenians wildly successful, bro, because we just got that fire, man, that we've been through hell, we barely made it, and now we just got to show out. 
and help others with our pain. And I believe that taking our pain and transmuting it to our purpose. And I'm still trying to figure out my purpose, you know, but at the end of the day, I think it's going to be, hel- it's helping others. So matter if it's just the open container I'm doing now, or God knows what's next, but we have to have a purpose that's bigger than ourselves and bigger than just this body and this flesh. Yeah. Yeah. I think, I mean, w- w- with all the tension and all the things that, that you just brought up, I also think that there's also a, side, a soft side to you as well, right? I mean, I've seen a picture with you in a Corvette with your nephew, and I've I seen the glow in his, his eyes, right? And then your sister made that post, and it was definitely a positive thing for her son. But also earlier on, I think it was like back in 2008, like right around now, it was like roughly this time, 2008, you did a post about long hair, don't care, and you had donated <laughs> it to kids. So I want you to kind of like, obviously, you know, we talked about the tensions, we talked about the negative, we talked about the positives, but like the giving back aspect to the kids, where does that fit into the equation? Because it seems like with all the things that are negative and the things that you're dealing with in in progressing past, there's also the softer side to you as well. Yes, brother. I am very sensitive. Okay. I am a highly sensitive and um, how can I phrase this? yeah, just, you know, sensitive. I have a deep feeling, you know, when someone is hurt, it's like almost I can feel it, you know, like an empath, mm-hmm. you would say. And all this started from an early age, you know. Um, uh, a lot of things don't go well with me. You know, when I see someone hurting, it's like I'm hurting, you know, it's like a part of me. And I think this is one of my biggest assets that I have that God has gifted me or I have created in myself by opening my heart. Mm. I believe that I am a heart-based entrepreneur where I'm not all, okay, pound the pavement and, you know, we got to conquer. No, I'm about opening our heart, listening to people, putting myself in their shoes, feeling their pain points, experiencing their struggles, and using everything I learned that's been passed down to me to be able to incorporate this in everything that I do. And I would have to say that my grandmother being the biggest influence because she raised these orphans. Hmm. She loved these kids. And I've grown to realize that the kids are the future. I don't want kids to go through what I've been through. And even other kids that are being murdered right now, bro, mm. and everywhere, okay? In, in Artsakh, in Armenia, parts of the Middle East, in Africa, the kids are our number one asset and they create the future. So everything that I do is because of our ancestors that laid the path. Mm-hmm. Um, the kids that my grandmother helped I want to pass on that torch and I want to do everything to help others. Hmm. And to go back to what you said about me and my nephew, yes, he loves me. He loves me because we um, brought them because, again, my sister, she was born in Armenia and she wasn't an American citizen and she had to grow up there in some harsh conditions. Um, but that made her the beast that she is now. And we would help the family. You know, we all stuck together. We will help the family. 
and we helped them come back to the U.S. And the rest is history, brother. Mm-hmm. And but yeah, I love my family. I love my nephew. He's in. He has the top top education right now because of what my sister did. I'm so proud of her that she can afford that, giving him the best education, giving him strong upbringing and all of that. And yeah, I remember that picture was in like 2017, 18, you know, where I was just, you know, I was on my entrepreneurial path, but I was still coming up. I didn't have that confidence and that mindset I have now. But just to answer your question, brother, it's long hair, don't care always, baby. I will never cut my hair again, ever. I think it's definitely fascinating. I could definitely hear the, hear the passion in, in what you're saying. And I hope the listener is, is taking heed to that, right? So I want to ask you a question, considering that you've had so many different hurdles. And I know each one of these hurdles that you overcame made you tougher, made you stronger, made you who you are. But if there was one hurdle that you can kind of go back and have a conversation with yourself right before that hurdle hits, when would you go back to and what advice would you give to yourself free that hurdle? Well, I believe every hurdle is just another step mm. to rise up. Another step to learn a lesson from that. But a lot of my hurdles were I couldn't control. You know, I, I, we can't control our hurdles. Uh, we can't control some of the things that life is going to throw at us. Okay, because it's going to throw a lot at us. But what I would tell my, my past self is that this is all just a stepping stone. This is, you know, don't take this to heart. This does not define you. Nothing that happened in our past, my past, your past, whoever's listening or who will listen to this podcast, nothing, whatever happened in your life, it's not the end of the world. It doesn't define you. It's not who you are. So get out of it. Okay? Use that to learn. Ask yourself. Have that conversation in yourself. Why is this happening to me? And what can I learn from it? What can I do to come out stronger next time? Not let it weigh me down. But the hurdles made me who I am right now. Mm -hmm. And after my biggest hurdle was me growing up, definitely being the crazy child, not living, you know, uh, almost past 11 years old, getting my ass kicked, you know, going to school and coming back, being bullied. All those stuff were a blessing in disguise. So I would tell myself that whatever happens to you, this is a blessing in disguise. Be thankful for it and give praises always, okay? Not just for the good things, but even for the things that we quote are bad or negative. Those are all labels, okay? It takes a different mindset to not label these things as good and bad. You got to transcend that. So did that answer the question? I hope it answered the question. Yeah, it definitely answered the question. It kind of leads me to, to kind of think about you from... Like, I mean, obviously in the early days you had issues, right? And then you kind of grew and you pushed and you pushed and you pushed and pushed. But but I can tell, and again, you can correct me if I'm wrong, there's still some adolescence still in you. There's still a, a kid that comes out every once in a while. I remember seeing a picture with you doing a handstand in Hawaii. You, 
boxing with Batman in, in Times Square. So I want you to kind of talk about like those good times. Like when you, Hawaii is a place that you've been to many times. Why does Hawaii call to you so much? And, and what does it do for you when you're in Hawaii? Essay, to answer your first question, I'm always going to be a kid. Mm. I'm never going to grow up. In my heart, my main goal in life is to remain nine years old. Mm. What were we, when, we're, when we were a kid, did we have any fears? Hell no. Did we question all these things we're questioning now? Yeah. <laughs> uh, when we wanted something, we did everything we could in the book to get it. Facts. When that kid had, when, when our neighbor had that bike, we would do anything to have that bike. Mm. Okay. When they got those pair of Jordans, we, we, <laughs> we wanted those pair of Jordans. We would do anything. We had that resiliency. We had that energy in us to be fun and bubbly and ask for help or go out and do it. Mm. Nowadays, we've been pumped to think and controlled to think that, oh, we must grow up and be adults. Mm. But no, the, the, the most wisest people, all the sages, all the masters, all the business mentors, they will say, you want to stay young at heart because if you have that young heart, to question, to not be afraid, and to go out with tenacity for what we want, we will never fail. So I have made it my mission to always be young at heart, to be playful and joyful like a kid. Mm. We never had worries. We would take our bikes and bike 20, 30 miles away. You probably can't do that now in today's society. But not that I want to spread fear, but that's what we did when we were growing up. We were playing outside. We were cutting up. We were breaking shit left and right. We had that fearless attitude, man. And I feel like that is the key to success. So everything that I do, whether it's my yoga, whether it's, you know, being, you know, the funny man, the clown, um, that is part of who I am. That's an aspect of me. And I will always try to never let the world beat me down and callous me to give that up. Hmm. And Hawaii is a very, very important part, you know, to me. Um, the first time I went to Hawaii was probably about, you know, 10 to 12, you know, about 11 years ago, coming on 11 years ago, I've probably been back a few times, about five times. And um, it's just somewhere, you know, I love the island. You know, I love the water. I love being around water. You know, I feel like I'm a water baby. Because my, my mom, she would always would swim at the YMCA when she, you know, when she was pregnant with me. And um, she loves swimming. And uh, I just find a sense of peace, you know, when I'm by the water. Mm. And uh, I feel like that's, you know, something I want to continue. Mm -hmm. So I want you to kind of take that ball of energy, right? And, and for a moment, think about an entrepreneur that's listening to this podcast right now. 
and they're, they're seeing the highs and the lows and they're seeing the frustrations, they're seeing the wins and they're enjoying the highlights, but at the same time, they can feel the pain, right? I want you to kind of talk to them to give them words of wisdom to kind of help them move forward and progress, even though that they know that hard times will come no matter how successful they will become. Yes. Hard times are evident. We're living in the hardest times in history right now. And I'm going to get down to some facts a little bit later on how we're living in the worst times economically, mm. financially, worse than the Great Depression from 1929 to 1933. But we'll get back to that essay. Maybe you can ask me that later. <clears throat> but I say that hard times will come. But what the mindset that we need to build up, the mindset that we need to create is that of detachment, emotional detachment, okay? That's one of the number one secrets of success. You ask Warren Buffett, he says, you ask him, what's the secret to success? Emotional detachment. Every entrepreneur has sharpened that. Okay. So no matter what comes, no matter what limitations we face, we use this that's between our ears to take our pains, to take the negative, use our creativity and our art and that power of alchemy to make it into a positive. Okay. It's all it is is a mindset that we anybody can learn. Anybody. We're not born with this essay. We're not. It's <laughs> You can go on YouTube and find out and question. You can go read books, which I'll drop a little bit later, on how we can build this mindset up. But I would say it's detachment. No matter what happens to us, we take it as a lesson, okay? It's never a failure. Our failures are only steps to our success. Mm. that have you ever learned anything from a success essay that's a great question i mean i think i learned way more from failing i mean learning the opportunities of failing gets you to success but once you're there i think most people they kind of forget about the the road to success you know so i don't really think you learn anything when you're at that point you really don't success only makes you complacent it makes you lazy it makes you think you got it all. It makes you think you're superior than others. It makes you think you're better. It's not, okay? Success is not the end result, all right? It's the journey. It's our little failures, which people are scared to, sh to shit to even try because of that thought of failure, you know? But that's what we need to give them more effort to. You know, we got to want to fail. We got to wake up every morning, hey, and I wake up every morning and I, I, I welcome failure. I wake up like, oh, I'm going to fail today. You know, I'm going to fail. I'm going to hit the freaking wall again. But with that comes new thoughts, new ideas. So I would tell any entrepreneur, wake up with as much enthusiasm to want to reach success, mm -hmm. but want to reach failure. Okay. <laughs> That's it. Yeah, I think it kind of goes back to the statement, you know, fail fast, fail quickly. Because I mean, by failing is when you're going to learn the actual hurdles. You're going to learn 
like how to navigate the maze. Cause I mean, that's what life really is. It's kind of like, did I make the right turn? Did I make the left turn? Did I make the correct turn? Right. You know, like yeah. you have to kind of figure it out in that process. So I think that's, that, that's definitely very solid. So if someone definitely is hearing you and they're vibrating on your frequency, where would you want me to send them to actually get in contact with you? And, and how do they, I mean, obviously we're talking about the containers through you. I think it's such a great concept. Like how does someone even get a container? Like do they have to go through a distributor? Can they go to a website? Like what's the process to get one of those? Good question, brother. So uh, reach out to us on our website, which is opencontainerwine.com. We have a franchise section. Also our LinkedIn or our Instagram, Open Container Wine. If there's any questions, they can reach out there. And uh, we would love to respond back to them with some more information on how we can make that possible. Mm. And the containers we build, SA, we've Again, vertically integrated the entire process. So I have three builders across the world. I have a builder in Armenia, got one in Miami, got one in Atlanta, actually four, and one in California. So depending on where we can launch this open, our open container franchise, we like to utilize those builders mm. and kind of make sure that we get the best rate because you never want to put kind of, you never want to just lean on only one vendor, mm -hmm. right? So we have a few vendors. And even if we have to piece it together, because each vendor kind of has their own little strengths too. You know, one's like a master welder who can does the sick signs. And mm -hmm. one is the fabricator. And, you know, one can deliver all over the U.S. So we use all the pieces and everything that we learned to make a seamless process to make sure that our franchisees are successful. Hmm. But definitely, I would say go to um, opencontainerwine.com. We have an application there that you can fill out. Or we have a section where you can send us an email and ask for more information, hmm. which we get all the time. Hmm. Very cool. Very cool. So I was reading on your website. I mean, it takes about two months to, to do a, a build, right? And again, each one of these is a custom, right? Like there's, there's variables to what you can get access to. And then it takes about 30 days to, to deliver it. So with, with that being said, like what's the price range for one of these containers decked out as a bar? Great question. So we like to keep the container concept streamlined. Mm -hmm. You know, we, we like to keep the designs, everything the same, but... We do have a couple models, depending on what the investor would like to invest in mm. and the location of where we're opening it, right? So we have an outdoor concept. We have a shipping, our shipping container concept, which is fabricated out of a shipping container, which we, um, we, we recycle. We use recycled shipping containers, like one-time use, because a lot of them end up in the dump or, you know, just end up in someone's backyard or in a storage facility but we like to use those but still an open container brand mm. then we got like a two-story one you know where we can do a wine bar on the bottom then we've got some steps where up up top is the lounge and a cigar bar and the prices are on the lower end about 263 
all in to about 380. Hmm. The 380 being maybe a 40-foot model. We have a 20-foot model that can be double-decker, hmm. or we have a 40-foot model ranging from around 263,000 to 380,000 all turnkey which we're one of only two franchises that offers that turnkey model where we help with the licensing we help with the real estate selection we help with training we help with negotiating the rent and the leases we help with the inventory which we have the inventory to make sure that there's no, no bottlenecking. We help with the building, the container. No one is doing this as a nobody. So I really appreciate you giving me this platform mm -hmm. to, to get this information out there for people to change their lives because that's what we're doing. It's changed my life. And I know that our open container franchise can get anyone in this bar game for peanuts I, I, I want somebody to go and try to open up a new business by themselves. For one, about 85% is going to fail without yep. the proper mentoring. Because recently, that's the statistics. That about 80% of businesses are going to fail within the first three years, if not sooner. Mm -hmm. And it's tough, bro. Especially now when the world is upside down. Mm -hmm. And that's why you need the mentors. You know, you need the franchisors to help you, you know, to take you from your pain to gain. Hmm. And that's why we created this franchise system to take everything that we know and to help others with this cool and trendy concept that nobody's doing. Yeah, I mean, I think it's definitely like you're 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 a futurist, right? I mean, like you take risks, which most people, they don't take risks. And I definitely love that aspect to, to, to being an entrepreneur. We're always willing to jump out there and to be the first ones to jump in. With that yes, being sir. said, I want to pose a question to you. Now, you've been in wine for years, right? For a long period of time. So you have not dove into like harder alcohols as of yet. And so transitionally from chemicals, are you talking about wine into cognacs? Have you thought about jumping that broom as of yet? You know, actually, before um, we imported the wine, because again, through our connections from overseas, um, you know, our family had a, the import company, but that doesn't exist anymore, that import company. So the first thing that we imported was vodkas mm. and cognacs. But me not being a heavy, heavy liquor drinker, I really don't drink. Mm -hmm. I, uh, I like to taste my wine. I like to drink in maybe social settings and limited. I, um, I, I just don't vibrate on that liquor frequency, so I just don't get into it. I rather stick with what I love and what I'm passionate about, and it's the wine. And I want to make the best wine possible. Mm -hmm. But, bro... Armenia makes the best brandy in the world, which is, it's cognac, but it can only be called cognac because, you know, you can be called cognac from the cognac region of France. Um, but we make brandy, which is a, made from grapes. We have the best fruits in the world and we make the best brandies and Armagnacs in the world, which is the drink of choice to Winston Churchill. And all the oligarchs in 
Russia, and what was the Soviet Union, some of the most expensive in the world. And we have a, the world-renowned cognac factory, Ararat, in Armenia. And all of, if not most, of the cognac makers are Armenian in France. We just never get the credit we deserve. So I am going to see to it that we do. But if anyone wants help in any kind of spirits, we can do that. Easy. Easy peasy. Because we have a network of uh, 50 producers from all over the world. And, and plus, you know, I'm lowballing that figure. Yeah. Um, to make anything, hmm. pretty much. From whiskey to vodka to cognac, brandies, all of it. I mean, that's a hell of a Rolodex for sure. Yeah. The, the fact that you brought up um, Churchill, I want to ask you, like, I was throw this into like a bonus question, right? And uh, I'm happy yeah. that I gave segue knowing that this episode was going to be a longer episode than that we used to. I mean, I think we're like approaching roughly about 90 minutes, but I want oh, really? to get, get, to, get to this particular question because I think for you, it's going to be very interesting on who you're going to dial into. If yeah. you have the opportunity to spend... 24 hours with anyone and this person could be someone that's dead someone that's alive someone that that you've met you've never met someone from your past someone that 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 that's not around anymore who would it yeah. be and why oh that's a that's a tough one that's a tough one uh who would it be you know i'm i like i like my history you know i like you know the people of the past you know, and I would consider myself a spiritual being. So it would have to be one of the ancient avatars, you know, like a Buddha or a Muhammad or uh, Jesus. Uh, and my nickname is Jesus, too. I don't know if you get, you get that. They call me Jesus because uh, they say the resemblance. But no, I don't take credit for that. Um, so I would say it would have to be one of these ancient seers, you know, and these very intelligent people that were remembered to this date that were able to help humanity, okay, from their knowledge. They were to take their pains and they were to dig deep into the reality of nature and come back with some profound realizations, okay? I would say they would be one. And then another would be uh, Dale Carnegie, the guy, uh, Dale Carnegie, mm. um, you know, how to win friends and influence people. Also, um, you know, Andrew Carnegie, you know, these people that created massive businesses that were, they could see into the future mm. and they were not afraid to pull the trigger. You know, they were not afraid to act on their ideas mm. Mm. Yeah. yeah i mean the carnegies are definitely they're they're they're, they're legendary and you know obviously napoleon hill always talks about them as being the bedrock to who he is right yeah so and the fact that i brought up like these these individuals kind of going into the subject that you said earlier about books obviously there's so many different books that i think that you can kind of bring to the table but i want you to kind of just pick three books that you think that any entrepreneur that is willing to do whatever it takes to get to the next level and be successful, but willing to overcome these hurdles in progress, 
What three books would you recommend to that individual? Three books is not enough, but I'm going to, I'm going to tell the future entrepreneur or the business owner right now, ditch those business and finance books. Mm. It's BS. Go to books that talk about self-knowledge, self-realization. That is the number one key. So I would say what's a great book is a Deepak Chopra book, Seven Spiritual Laws of Success, okay? Or it's also called Seven, Seven Spiritual Laws of Business. Then I would recommend um, Dale Carnegie, How to Win Friends and Influence People, which I had the blessing to, uh, my aunt gave me that book when I was around 19 years old. Hmm. Um, and then, oh man, I would say any Deepak Chopra book or even Greg Braden, The Divine Matrix is a key. Very cool. So, yep, those are my three books. So, I mean, we're getting ready to, to get closer to closing out. And I think this is going to be a very interesting question because you've had so many unique opportunities to overcome things and become successful at whatever you were diving into. So out of all your achievements, right, from early days until now, which one do you claim to be your most significant achievement to date? My most significant achievement is having my open mind mm. and open heart. Okay, my free mind, you can take everything away from me right now throw me in the gutter. But with my mindset and my open mind, I will just bring it all back in, bring it all together. It, it makes perfect sense. I mean, that's, that's the thing about millionaires and even billionaires. You can kind of throw them in the middle of nowhere and start them off with square one. And in 30 days, they'll be on the way of going back to where they were before you strip them down to begin with. So it's one of those life lessons that once you learn it and you understand it, it's like building Legos. You just know how to put everything together. Yes. Yes. Hmm. Can I add one thing? Yeah. Essay? And I'll keep it short. But, you know, right now is the time I tell entrepreneurs, start your business, no matter what it is. Hmm. Bet on you. If you want freedom, if you want to set your family free, Create a legacy. The only way is going to be through business ownership or creating a skill. Okay? Because with that, you'll have freedom. You actually have a better chance than going to school and going into these corporate jobs that one minute you're here, next minute they're going to kick your ass to the curb because you mean nothing to them. And then you don't wasted all your time. We are living in the Great Depression right now. The in inflation is crazy. The cost of living is crazy. And this corporate money that people are getting, this 150000 or 200000 300000 that's peanuts. You can't even survive with a family making that income. Hmm. Unless you're making, you know, unless you've got something handed down and you're not paying any mortgage or anything. But right now, if we were to take the, the money that was being made from the Great Depression, 1929 to 1933, the average person was making around $3,000 a year annually. 
okay? And they were starving making that money, which right now equates to about $50,000 a year, mm. okay? And back then, they didn't have all those, these taxes that they're forcing on us, all these fees. Now the government, you know, they can call something a fee and push it on you, which is damn near a tax. Yeah. They have not been, we have never been taxed so heavily. So you being in the corporate world, making two, 300,000, you're going to see just a fraction of that after you get beat over your head. And then the cost of living has skyrocketed. So if I, I ask anybody who has a little bit of an attention span just to go look at the numbers from the Great Depression, add those numbers now and equate it to how much you know you got to make 50 60,000 a year but you damn near on the brink of poverty you're one hospital visit away from being poor okay you're one you mess up your credit you're one step away from being poor so i just ask people start your own business okay and if you don't know how to do it ask for help go to mentors okay but open your own business because that's going to create freedom that's going to give you a better chance because now you got to spend your money, build it in America, because this is becoming the millionaire, billionaire playground, especially in the South right now. It is. It is. 100%. Yep. Yep. So do that. I mean, and to add to that, it's not even a single millionaire. I mean, if, if you're not hitting that 10 million plus mark at this point in time, it's kind of like, to your point, in a few years, you're still going to be at the poverty level. So. 10 million plus is, is the goal, at least for the next couple yeah. years. <laughs> yes. Yes, because the corporate ladder is only going to take you so far. And as things skyrocket, if you don't have any assets, if you don't have any property or passive income, or if you don't have a business that you can build with your family or yourself, that's going to keep on compounding, mm -hmm. right? To get all these tax benefits and create this income that you truly desire then you're poor. You're, you are poor. And it's going to take someone else to knock you off. I hear it all the time. I hear it all the time. Some of my closest people, they're telling me, oh, hike, I, I should have listened to you. Mm. <clears throat> I should have started my business. I should have risked it. Because yeah. now they're back to square one, living in their mama's house. Mm. Yeah, that's unfortunate. So going into closing out, this episode, which I think was definitely an enlightening episode. I think it was full with so many twists and turns, so much different information. And I think in your future, I definitely see you becoming a podcaster sooner or later. I mean, it's just, it's, it's, it's probably part of your DNA. You just probably haven't thought about it yet. Right. So now boss yeah. age is, is your show. You're the host. I'm your guest. Do you have any questions for me? Yes. How, what gave you the idea and when did you say, yes, I'm going to start my own entrepreneurial podcast? Because that really interests me. Yeah. Um, my entrepreneurial journey started back in 2000. And, you know, kind of like you, I just jumped in, was just trying to figure things out. And things have happened, right? I had medical emergencies that kind of almost expired me. And I had an opportunity to kind of, you know, not necessarily rest and relax, but to recoup and regroup. And when I came back, it was opportunities to say, I want to become not necessarily the center of attention, but I want to come out from being behind the curtain. 
And when that opportunity presented itself, I was like, I could be either a YouTuber or I can be a podcaster. And mm. because I was kind of the, the, the puppeteer behind the scenes, I, I chose not to have the camera aspect and I became what's titled as a podcaster. But obviously now video and everything goes into that play, right? Yeah. It was more so giving me an opportunity because of my failures in the first part. I almost died because I worked myself to death, but mm. I didn't leave behind the informational breadcrumbs more so than the financial breadcrumbs. And I think the informational breadcrumbs are, are way more valuable assets. So that way, to your point, if I were to take you and drop you into the to the rainforest, you would probably figure out something in the rainforest to sell or make or trade. And that's the thing that I wanted to make sure that for my kids and my grandkids or for your great grandkids or for your nephew or your, your nephew's kids, they have an opportunity to see a podcast like this that kind of talks about like the negatives of entrepreneurism, the positive of it. But at the end, you have full control, you have ownership. And that's the dawn of why I created Boss Cage. I love it. I love it. And uh, if I can just ask, uh, I know you grew up in in um, New York, yep. from but you were from um, well, uh, you were from uh, which island was it? Trinidad, Trinidad. Trinidad. Yep. Uh, which I, I I can't wait to go. I can't wait to go. Yeah. So um, yeah, maybe we can go one day. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I mean, it, it, that's that's a beautiful thing about the world that we live in. I think that most people, I think they do this so such a, a huge disservice because I grew up in, in New York and, you know, Brooklyn might as well has been at L.A. to the Bronx, even though they're like five miles, 10 miles apart. And and it kind of like the density of the population in that region of the world, people kind of just stay in their borough and they really don't travel abroad. And so once I started traveling abroad, I was starting to realize that, you know, we live in a small planet. The planet is not as big as you may think it is. It's a small stepping ground. Yes. There's an opportunity to kind of, why not, meet and greet people in the world that we live in with the time that we have. So one more quick question. Yep. I know you came back from Japan. I have not been to Japan, and I would, I would love to go. What are some things you can tell me to prepare me for that trip? So there's one thing that that I, I did part of it, and I think for you, I think you would definitely love it, and I think you you're probably batshit crazy enough to probably do it with me, right? <laughs> Which is to to, to plummet um, Mount Fuji. So there's a, an entire huh? to climb Mount Fuji. Ooh. So there's a it's a 48 hour tour. It they pretty much bring you in. You start the hike up, and once you get halfway up or pretty close to the top, you'll actually sleep on the side of the mountain. Right. They actually set you up. You spend the night there. You wake up before dawn. You plummet. So imagine seeing the sunrise while you're on Mount Fuji. Oh, wow. And then once the sun rises, then you kind of walk back down. I was trying to convince my wife and, and the kids, but, you know, they they were like, hell no, it's an active volcano. So but yeah. it's a once in a lifetime thing. So I had an opportunity to see it. And, I, and standing there looking at Mount Fuji, I'm like, not only is it, is it beautiful, but what does it look like on top of that mountain? It's more so that achievement than just being a spectator watching it from the distance. Wow, that's amazing. I would definitely want to put that into my itinerary for sure. Yep, 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 definitely. I mean, I think, I mean, there's so much other shit you could do in Japan, but I think just being that that, that mountain, that volcano has been there as long as the island has been there before people were even on the damn island, right? So it, it's yeah. kind of something 
that's kind of untouched and unchanged considering the, the lifespan of the planet that we live on. That's beautiful. How was the food? Oh, it's phenomenal. I mean, from a foodie standpoint, it, it's like when you get Asian culture is always a giving culture as far as the delicacies, right? I mean, there's things that in, in the Western society that you don't dibble and dabble in besides beef, chicken, fish, mm. and pork. Those are the top four. But in, in, in Asia, it's, just, it's uniquely different. I mean, like the type of fish, there's not just one or two. There's multiple varieties of types of fish. There's multiple ways of cooking the fish. There's multiple ways of prepping it and fishing the dishes. And their final dishes are, are definitely picture, picturesque quality. I mean, I had an opportunity to eat at a star or a four-star restaurant while we was there. And it was just, the, the, the cuisine, it just tastes so much better, more refreshing, cleaner. It's it's just different than what we get in the states. Yep, yep. That's awesome. I can't wait. I can't yeah. wait. I mean, definitely. Let me know, man. Let me know you're doing it. But uh, going into closing, I think this is one of those legendary episodes to where, and obviously, you lived up to, to your nickname through and through, right? I mean, the tipsy cargo boss is definitely. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> it has to be a shirt that has to be worn. But I think, like, we went through so many pushes and pulls, so kind of ups and downs. It was kind of like a bipolar episode. I mean, there was moments where we had tension. There was moments where we had happiness. There was moments to where you kind of feel the sadness. And I think that's what really tells someone's story because everyone goes through each one of those emotions. So to have an episode that touches on all those emotions, I think it's definitely a special one. Yes. Well, thank you for asking the right questions. And again, you can't have the light without the darkness. You're right, 100%. You know, there's a yin and a yang. So we have all these forces within us. So it's about how do we harmonize it? How do we befriend our ego? Mm. You know, not let it run amok, but yeah. how do we befriend it and just have it work for us rather than against us? Mm. And I think the majority of people, they got it working against them. Hmm. Wow. On that note, I think it's a hell of a way to close out this episode with that essay grant over and out. Thanks for tuning in to another episode of Boss Uncaged. I hope you got some helpful insight and clarity to the diverse approach on your journey to becoming an uncaged trailblazer. Don't forget to subscribe, rate, review, and share the podcast. If this podcast has helped you or you have any additional questions, reach out and let me know. Email me at ask at sagrant.com or drop me your thoughts via a call or text at 762-233-BOSS. That's 762-233-2677. I would love to hear from you. Remember, to become a boss in cage, you have to release your inner beast. S.A. Grant, signing off. Listeners of Boss Uncaged are invited to download a free copy of our host, S.A. Grant's insightful ebook, Become an Uncaged Trailblazer. Learn how to release your primal success in 15 minutes a day. Download now at www.bossuncaged.com forward slash free book.